Adams on Agriculture brought to you by Cenex Premium Diesel. Cenex Premium Diesel, a more complete additive package for a more complete burn. Informing America's farmers and ranchers, it's Adams on Agriculture. Produced by the American Ag Radio Network. Here's your host, Mike Adams. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Adams on Agriculture. Thank you for joining us and letting us be part of your day. Perhaps a snowy day where you are. That's the case in many parts of the country. Well, here's what we're going to talk about today. Uh, A lot of talk about climate goals and sustainability and environmental impact. We'll talk with the National Cattlemen's Beef Association about how the beef industry is uh, fitting into all this and things being done uh, to protect the environment, the sustainability of the beef industry. That's coming up on today's program. Lots of biofuels news. There's a big issue over E15 labeling. There's a a call for a low-carbon fuel standard for the country. We'll talk about all that with Jeff Cooper, president and CEO of the Renewable Fuels Association. And we're going to continue our talk with farmers around the country on planting 2021. Now on hold as we wait for the snow to get done. Uh, we'll go to St. Joe, Missouri. Gene Millard, uh, he's... Uh, He's waiting to get the planter back out as he has. <laughs> he looks out on some snow on his fields. But uh, the concern about already planted crops, some of that corn may be coming up. How's it going to handle this cold snap? We'll talk about that with Gene Millard in St. Joseph, Missouri, a little bit later on in the program. Let's start things off, though, with a look at the news. Todd Neely with DTN joins us. Todd, is it snowing in Nebraska? All right. Good morning, Mike. Uh, not to this point. We had a dusting yesterday. The grass got a little wet. That was about it on our end. Um, no, south of here, south of Lincoln, there was a bit more snow. But, yeah, we're nice and sunny today, just like it should be. <laughs> Good for you. All <laughs> right, several things we've been watching. And uh, uh, you've got a, a kind of unusual situation with this ethanol plant in its Mead, Nebraska, right? Uh, what's the latest on that? Yeah. Well, Mike, you know, uh, it's still in, they're still in the process of, uh, you know, they're, they're located next to a cattle feedlot. That's where they've been for from the very beginning. Uh, they're getting rid of the cattle, supposedly, selling that part off. Uh, but there's still a lot of a lot of ongoing environmental issues that the, that the area is dealing with. Uh, and one of the things is the seed that was brought to that plant for years. Um, you know, not really quite clear what all the agreements were to bring that seed there and, and what they really mean. Uh, as well, you know, we've heard of other plants that, that have accepted the seed and, and have not had the same problems. And so still trying to figure out what that all means, but it's definitely, uh, you know, a big concern for, for these uh, for these small towns. You know, in need here, we had, um, you know, it was a big economic development situation when this plant all started out. Uh, and now we've got daily reports coming from the state about what they're trying to do to clean up the mess, and it's really become quite a quite a real uh, sad story. Where does it go from here? What's the next step? Well, I think you know we're going to see some more uh, some more court action. You know, the state had filed a lawsuit against the company. Um, you know, there's all kinds of things going on. In fact, the company's even making an upgrade to a water filtration system. Uh, so it, it, it may be a case where this company is moving toward a bankruptcy and maybe selling off the property. It's really hard to say at this point, but uh, it's a day-to-day monitoring situation going on. You know, there's legislation in the state uh, state uh, uh, state legislature here, and they're really looking at banning the use of these kinds of seeds and ethanol. You know, we're seeing the same thing in Illinois. Uh, so we'll just wait and see where this plays out. Uh, you know, 
still trying to track down, you know, how much of that's out there actually going to some of these ethanol plants. We really don't know. So we'll watch that. Another legal case we're watching is the uh, challenge to California's Prop 12, where the state of California trying to set production standards for other states um, yeah. if they want to sell into the California market. Uh, we got the National Pork Producers and American Farm Bureau with a legal challenge to Prop 12. There's another challenge from the uh, the Meat Institute, the North American Meat Institute, and, and some yeah. states. So there's a lot of legal action on this. Uh, arguments were heard recently so we're kind of waiting yeah. to see what the court decides to do yeah and like you know it's interesting one of the things that's come up we had a, a news conference last week with the pork uh, count, uh pork council uh one of the things they talked about is that the state of california hasn't even put out the rules for this law that takes effect in january uh so you know we're looking at only eight months out and and no pork producers have really gone forward and you know made big investments you know to their to their systems you know, to adjust to the regulation there. And so I think that however this court case and these court cases play out is really critical because uh, farmers are coming off a really difficult, you know, 2020. Uh, and so there's there's a lot of investment to be made if this law is able to stay effect in California. And so uh, the sooner the better that the court can resolve this issue for, for uh, producers in particular. Yeah, it kind of comes down to can can one state dictate to other states how they produce a product yeah. and do they have do they have that right and we'll see what the court rules on that uh meanwhile there are challenges we're going to talk more about this later with jeff cooper but uh challenges to how epa uh labels e15 or requires labeling for e15 yeah uh you know the, the epa had a public comment period that was open they had suggested a number of changes that could be done to the e15 label you know this has been a a real problem in the industry for a while. You know, there's a lot of concern about uh, how the product is being portrayed on pumps, uh, you know, more of a warning label than it is a guidance label. And I think uh, what we saw yesterday as the public comment period closed, a lot of these ethanol groups came out with uh, a number of suggestions, and a lot of that had to do with making it more simple, you know, telling consumers that, uh, you know, vehicles 2001 and newer can use it and older vehicles cannot. And so, I think the industry is looking for something either more simple from the EPA, EPA or remove uh, the label entirely because there's been a lot of confusion about it. Yeah, it's it's the big thing about labels. Are they educational or are they somehow frightening or warning or you know you know keeping people away from a product? So that's always the the issue there. The other thing I want to talk about, Todd, is we're about to find out. I think. Uh, what the Biden administration is going to commit the U.S. to when it comes to climate uh, issues and goals. And then that's right. the next step will be for agriculture. What is going to be required of agriculture to meet whatever uh, guidelines or commitments that they make? Yeah, absolutely, Mike. Um, you know, and the thing about it, you know, we talk a lot about China and India and, and a lot of these countries. Uh, the U.S. is actually engaging in some of these talks right now. And a lot of these countries, they do little or nothing when it comes to carbon emissions. Um, when you look at agriculture here in the United States, it only counts for 10% of all the emissions here in the U.S. Uh, and so I think there's going to be some concern uh, from producers here in our country that, uh, you know, they may end up, end up shouldering more of the burden when it comes to cutting emissions. Uh, and I don't know whether, you know, agreements with China, the trade agreements, I, I don't know whether, you know, stuff done under the previous administration really focused at all on the climate side of things. Uh, so it'll be interesting to see how, you know, those discussions that are ongoing now may affect ag trade and, and our producers. And I think 
you know, at some point, China and India, if you know, we're really going to get serious about it. They have to get on board because right now uh, the U.S. is doing pretty much about as much as it can do. Yeah, that's always a rub. Do we commit to something that other countries won't commit to? And and it seems like in agriculture's case, the uh, the sector that emits the least seems to get impacted the most when it comes to Absolutely. these regulations and commitments. So we'll we'll see how this plays out. Todd, good to talk with you. Thanks a lot. Yeah, thank you, Mike. Take care, DTN reporter Todd Neely. Well, that's a good segue into our next guest, Ethan Lane, Vice President, Government Affairs for the National Cattlemen's Beef Association, joins us to look at the sustainability of the beef industry and what it's doing to uh, protect the environment, already doing, and planning to do more. We'll talk about that next on AOA. Adams on Agriculture brought to you by Cenex Premium Diesel. Cenex Premium Diesel, diesel that doesn't mess around. Join us every Tuesday for Around the Table, brought to you by CHS, where we take a close look at the benefits of cooperative ownership. Every week, we'll host a new guest and discuss how you can get the most from working with your local cooperative. And we'll learn why farmers and ranchers just like you choose cooperatives to help them persevere and prosper. So be sure to tune in each Tuesday or visit cooperativeownership.com to learn more. When it comes to the crops you plant, we know that you want to maximize the yield of each seed. In order to do that, you need every plant to emerge on the same day. The problem is, you don't know if this is actually happening. We understand what it's like to be in the cab at harvest, wondering why a field is yielding lower than expected, which is why we're offering you our free emergence flagging kit. Here's how it works. Go to precisionplanting.com forward slash free and request your free emergence flagging kit. We'll send you a kit that includes multiple colored flags, a seed digger, and instructions. The first day your plants start coming up, follow the kit instructions to flag the new emergers each day. You'll gain a much clearer picture of how consistently your plants are emerging. Get your free emergence flagging kit today at precisionplanting.com forward slash free. Don't wait. Kits are limited. That's precisionplanning.com forward slash free for your free emergence flagging kit. A cold front can slow the world to a crawl, but with Cenex Premium Diesel, your fleet can power through. Cenex Roadmaster XL Seasonally Enhanced comes with a more complete additive package for a more complete burn, optimizing cold weather performance over typical number two diesel. So rather than complaining about the cold, own it with Cenex Premium Diesel. Cenex Premium Diesel diesel that doesn't mess around. Vision loss is not something that you feel until it happens. Most people lose their vision from diseases like macular degeneration and glaucoma, not at birth. With macular degeneration, you lose your central vision. You have a blind spot right in the center of your face, so I can't actually see your face. So even that little circle in which I could see became a big blur. I was 65 when I first was diagnosed with glaucoma. There were no symptoms. I had no headaches. Three million Americans have glaucoma, and half don't even know it. 11 million people in the United States have macular degeneration. You lose mobility, independence, changes your entire life. So many eye disorders can be treated if caught early. My husband tells me that I have beautiful brown eyes, and I don't want to lose that. Make a plan today to get your eyes checked. 
Visit brightfocus.org to learn more. Adams on Agriculture brought to you by Cenex Premium Diesel. With Cenex Premium Diesel, you can count on a diesel that will keep your operation in top shape. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now, back to Mike Adams. Earth Day is coming up on Thursday. A lot of focus right now on climate issues, and we wait to see what the Biden administration commits the U.S. to as far as climate goals and then how they plan to go about meeting those goals, whatever they may be. Uh, But agriculture has a voice in all this because a lot of times agriculture is asked to do even more, and sometimes it feels like it's being overlooked what agriculture is already doing. And, of course, always trying to, to... Uh, lessen that uh, carbon footprint and reduce greenhouse gas emissions and a lot of that effort is underway we're joined now by ethan lane vice president government affairs for the national cattlemen's beef association ethan thanks for joining us uh with the talk about sustainability and and reducing carbon footprints and things like that um tell us where does the beef industry stand in all this i mean we hear criticism we are people target the the beef industry and agriculture in general about uh, being big emitters of greenhouse gases and things like that what what's the story for the the beef industry that you want people to know about well first mike as always you've you've done a better job uh selling this issue than 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 i have i uh, i mean that was a perfect frame up you know it's not just about what we can do as an industry but what we've already done and have been doing as an industry for for decades now um you know we have this sort of push and pull with the environmental community uh, on this topic because they always tend to pull from international climate numbers and carbon emission numbers when talking about the u.s uh, cattle industry. And the fact is, we're a fraction of, of, of those global numbers. So when we get into some of these conversations, like we're going to see this week, where uh, President Biden is going to be, you know, doing this climate summit with all of these world leaders and talking about setting targets, it's critical that there is an understanding of the fact that the U.S. cattle production system is the, the gold standard in the world. Less than 2% of greenhouse gas emissions in the United States relative to 145 or 15% globally for livestock production. What we do is the most efficient means of cattle production in the world across 600 million acres of the U.S. landmass, and we do it upcycling inedible proteins that also create habitat for wildlife and, and do all of these other things for ecosystem services that, you know, in no disrespect to anybody else in agriculture, but quite frankly, no one else in food production can claim. So getting that message out and helping uh, some of the decision makers in, in Washington to, to really understand uh, the opportunity uh, that the cattle industry presents to them as far as large-scale conservation, uh, furthering the efforts we've already been engaged in for, as I said, generations, um, is, is really job number one for the industry right now. I mentioned this earlier. It, it often seems like the segment that, uh, in this case agriculture, that emits the least when it comes to greenhouse gases, uh, oftentimes it seems like someone wants to regulate them the most. Uh, <laughs> now, every everyone can probably do better at, at it, and there are, cons- there are always efforts to try to improve in, in, in agriculture. Uh, but doesn't that seem to be the case? I mean, you hear about the concern does. about gases you know coming from cows and things like that and that gets all the headlines and publicity it creates a narrative and an image in people's minds that boy agriculture is one that's causing a lot of this problem and then it seems like uh, those in 
in office kind of uh, you know kind of pile on that and all of a sudden you got a bunch of regulations hanging over your head uh, what, what's your response to that and how uh, the beef industry wants to get a message across to uh, to the government well, you know, look, it, nobody ever went broke in Washington telling people out in the country who, who the villain is supposed to be, right? And, and, you know, whether it's the animal rights community that has, has made kind of a, a, a hobby in the last couple of years, they can't sell veganism, so they're trying to sell climate impact instead. Um, you know, there are portions of the environmental community um, that simply aren't being honest about what a good story the cattle industry has to tell. Um, so, you know, we are going to have to overcome that narrative with, with science, with facts and figures. Um, it's going to be critically important that our producers get credit for what we're already doing. Yes, of course, continuous improvement, to use kind of the sustainability term, is always going to be part of that conversation, right? New technology means we can always be doing better. We can produce more with less. We can, we can increase quality levels while also putting more carbon back in the soil. We can, you know, create more habitat. Um, we can do all these things, and, and we are, but we've got to make sure that our producers around the country who have spent so much time over the last few generations working with NRCS, working with uh, different conservation interests and moving the needle, get credit for what they've already done. They need to get credit for what great condition those rangelands are already in, with the, what great condition those pastures are already in. Um, and that has got to be the first step here. Uh, you know, if we kind of start with a new bar and say, gosh, if you're not hitting this bar, you're failing, we have really failed to recognize the tremendous input and benefit we've already put on the ground. And that's really going to be job number one. And quite frankly, that means making sure that we engage with honest brokers in this conversation. We've got to call out bad information when we see it, and we have to, we have to praise uh, these NGOs and environmental groups when they, when they call it right. Um, and, and that's going to be part of our challenge over the next couple years, and that's why you know, I think you're going to hear the industry come out some days and, and call a foul, and you're going to hear us come out other days and, and applaud uh, you know, a position that somebody has taken. And it, there's going to be a little bit of that as we kind of work our way through this. Um, it's, it's, it's definitely not a, a simple issue, um, but we have, to, we have to really aggressively tout our, our successes and, and make sure that our story gets out there. We're talking with Ethan Lane, Vice President, Government Affairs for the National Cattlemen's Beef Association. Uh, part of my concern is, like, on, on these plant-based products out there, imitation meat products out there. Um, Fake you know, meat. I don't eat them. Yeah, I don't eat them, and, uh, but I, I respect people's right to choose if they want to. I mean, they have a place. They have a right to be in the marketplace. People have a right to eat them if they want to. What bothers me are claims that somehow if you... If you consume those products and not real meat or traditional meat products, that somehow then you're helping to save the planet by making that choice. That's what bothers right. me. Well, and, and that's the problem, right? If you, if you, for some reason, find that to be more appealing to you, then fine, eat it. I don't understand that choice, but, but people should be free to do that. But to, to your point, exactly. If you're making a choice like that based on some perceived health benefit, you, you've been misinformed. Uh, I mean, quite frankly, beef is just a healthier product um, than than a highly processed slurry of 23 different you know chemicals and 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 compounds. And if you're making this choice based on an environmental claim, you've also been misinformed. There's there's just simply no comparison uh, between the benefits that we put back into the ground through uh, our, our cattle production system versus um, you know a, a a massively diversified global uh, uh, you know industrialized process to to put this 
this fake meat compound together. Uh, there's simply no comparison between the two, and anybody who tells you that there is uh, is selling something. So we're going to have to keep pushing that as well. We're not afraid to compete with these products in the marketplace. What we're seeing time and time again is consumers try them once out of curiosity, and then they don't go back to them. And that's why we've seen groups like Tim Hortons pull them out of their stores. We've seen different groups dip their toe in and then pull back. Uh, if you have tried them, you know they're, they're just not very good. Um, and they certainly aren't any comparison to, to the, the, the high-quality product that we're putting out. Um, so, again, it goes back to that, to that information and making sure that, uh, you know, that people are, are, are telling an honest story out in the country um, and, and that consumers are, are getting real information here. Because if they're being told that it's a healthier product or that it's better for the environment, they're, they're just simply being lied to. So on Thursday, Earth Day, there will be all kinds of messages out there about saving the planet and, and things like that. Uh, I know you want to make sure that the beef industry gets proper credit here, that you are part of the, the solution that people are, are seeking here to protect the, the planet, the environment, part of the solution, not part of the problem. That's right. And, and you know, we, we know that there are a lot of different constituencies at play here this week. This is a, this is a, uh, a pretty complicated landscape that President Biden and his team are going to try to navigate. He has a lot of global, uh, you know, global leaders that, that have their own environmental problems to wrestle with, quite frankly. Um, and, and so this is going to be kind of a, a, a complex stage that we're going to be watching here, and agriculture certainly is going to be a component of that. You know, what we're hearing from the administration is largely positive. They appreciate the role that grazing and cattle production plays. They recognize the benefits. They're looking forward to working with us to expand those, but also make sure that our producers are getting credit for what they've done. Those are the right things to be hearing. Um, that doesn't mean it's going to be a smooth sailing path. There are a lot of folks in this conversation that, uh, you know, that, that, that maybe don't see the issue that way. Um, but this is kind of the beginning of this thing. This is kind of the kickoff. We're going to see, I'm sure, uh, the president and his team set some targets um, and, and, uh, and set some goals. You know, we're all going to have to look at those and see how we fit into those. Um, you know, we know that as an industry, we're, we're awfully close to carbon neutral now. Um, and, and that's before anybody has put pressure on us to do it. Um, so, you know, we're, we're in a good position relative to that conversation if everybody's talking um, from, from a, a real sheet of facts. Um, so we'll see what kind of table he sets this week, and, and then we will, uh, we will determine from there kind of how we move forward and engage with the process. All right, Ethan, thanks a lot. Good to talk to you. Appreciate it. Thanks, Mike. Ethan Lane, Vice President, Government Affairs for the National Cattlemen's Beef Association. going to be a lot of discussion on this moving forward. Um, agriculture has a part to play in this. Uh, looking for some uh, acknowledgement of the part it's doing now to already help the environment and doing more all the time to get even better at it. All right, up next, some biofuels news to talk about here on AOA. Cenex Premium Diesel comes with a more complete additive package for a more complete burn to optimize performance in all engines. A cold front can slow the world to a crawl, but with Cenex Premium Diesel, your fleet can power through. Cenex Roadmaster XL Seasonally Enhanced comes with a more complete additive package for a more complete burn, optimizing cold weather performance over typical number two diesel. So rather than complaining about the cold, own it with Cenex Premium Diesel. Cenex Premium Diesel. Diesel that doesn't mess around. I've been farming my whole life. 
I don't need somebody to come out here and state the obvious. I don't need anybody to explain my farm to me. My local co-op works with CHS, and they know what I need when I need it. A global network of support. Local expertise. And valuable market options. We need a co-op that's here for us. So we can own every day. When you're an owner of a local cooperative connected to CHS, you get local expertise, a proven efficient supply chain, and global market access. Learn more at cooperativeownership.com. You're listening to Adams on Agriculture for the American Ag Network. I'm Kirsten Rall. U.S. farmers are facing another week of cold weather with potential freezing temperatures and snow across the U.S. wheat and corn belts. While Brazilian farmers are facing dryness across some of their second crop corn regions, China is busy taking up Brazilian beans. On the Board of Trade, May soybeans trading nine and three quarters of a cent higher at 14.43 and three quarters. The July contract up nine and a fraction at 14.32. May corn trading seven cents higher at five ninety two and a half cent. The July contract up seven cents at five eighty and three quarters. For the wheat, Chicago wheat may up two and a half cent at six fifty five. Kansas City wheat may up three and a fraction at six twelve and a half cent. Minneapolis spring wheat may up two and a half cent at six sixty six and three quarters. The July contract up two and three quarters at six seventy four. Cattle futures have fallen seven consecutive trading days, pushing the market into an oversold condition, even though cash cattle traded steady to a dollar higher last week. Raising feed costs and poor exports were the overriding factor. The trend is turning lower for the time being. Packers will use this to their advantage and likely only want to purchase cattle at a steady price this week, despite very strong box beef prices last week. August live cattle trading 85 cents lower at 118.30. The June contract down 75 at 118. For feeder cattle, the August contract down 230 at 152.25. The September contract down 232 at 153.87. For lean hogs, the June contract up 80 cents at 102.50. The July contract up 52 at 101.22. In the outside markets, the Dow is up 164 points, the Nasdaq Composite down 117, the S&P 500 down 21. You're listening to Adams on Agriculture for the American Ag Network. I'm Kirsten Rall. Do you know how to keep food safe at home? Clean, separate, cook, and chill. The easy lessons of clean, separate, cook, and chill will help you protect your family and be food safe. Clean! Wash hands and utensils to avoid spreading bacteria when preparing food. Separate! Use different cutting boards for meat, poultry, seafood, and veggies. Cook! You can't tell it's done by how it looks. Always use a food thermometer. Chill! Keep the fridge at 40 degrees or below to keep bacteria from growing. Food safety risks at home are more common than most people think. The USDA is your partner in being food safe. Clean, separate, cook, and chill. For more information, visit BeFoodSafe.gov or call 1-888-MP-HOTLINE. Adams on Agriculture brought to you by Synex Premium Diesel. Synex Premium Diesel, a more complete additive package for a more complete burn. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now, back to Mike Adams. 
Once again, lots of biofuels news to go over, and we're joined by Jeff Cooper, President and CEO of the Renewable Fuels Association. I knew this would be a good day to talk with Jeff because our Cardinals won yesterday, Jeff. <laughs> That's right. That's right. It seems like they either uh, win by a lot or lose by a lot. I haven't seen a close game yet. No, nope. every few days they wake up and score a bunch of runs, and next few games the bats go to sleep. Hopefully they can uh, stay awake for a while longer here for a while. All right, let's. We got two two areas we want to get to. Let's start first of all with the um, the the labeling issue on E15. Uh, for those not familiar with what's going on here and what you're wanting from EPA, kind of bring us up to date on this. Sure, happy to, and, and thanks again for having me, Mike. Uh, the EPA did, in January, uh, finally release a proposal uh, where they are proposing to make changes to the E15 label that is currently required on pumps that are dispensing E15. And this has been a, a priority for us. It seems like a kind of technical in the weeds uh, type of issue, but it's but it's really important. The, the the label that's currently on the dispensers is a bright orange and black warning label, and we know from consumer research that we've done and others have done that that label currently is deterring and scaring people away from trying E15 because it says attention and warning on it, and this fuel may damage your automobile if it's uh, you know used incorrectly. Um, so we've been after EPA for, for years, really, uh, to revise that label or eliminate it completely. Uh, so EPA finally got around to proposing some options for addressing that label in January. Uh, they solicited comment from the public, and that comment period closed yesterday. And, of course, our industry uh, had a strong showing during that comment period and, and weighed in with EPA in support of a, a you know a, a much different looking label one that is not nearly as as scary um, and won't deter drivers from from trying this uh, this fuel that we know is lower cost and, and cleaner and, and frankly better for their vehicles. I was getting E15 over the weekend and I was looking at that label and thinking about this and and you're right uh, when it comes to labels you know they're kind of two categories do they educate people or do they scare people, frighten people. And if you're looking at that, right. it does look more like a warning label than an educational label. So it, it, it does matter. Uh, when do we expect to get a decision on this? Well, we, we know EPA is going to be considering all of the feedback and input they got from the public on this proposed change. Uh, and we think within the next several months they will publish a final rule. Uh, and our hope is that they will finalize the the option that they proposed that that changes the colors of the label and really revises a lot of the language on the label and, and does make it more informative and educational and and less of a uh, a, a warning or, or deterrent uh, for consumers that see that label so we, we would expect to see something in the next few months uh, the other thing this this uh, this proposal from EPA does though Mike and it's, this is very important it, it also makes it easier for retailers to demonstrate to EPA that their existing equipment, uh, their underground storage tanks and their piping and their dispensers um, are compatible with E15 and other higher level blends. Uh, previously, the, the requirements for demonstrating compatibility were really burdensome for a lot of retailers, and so they didn't bother with, with making that demonstration and just stuck with E10. So that's another uh, positive aspect of this proposal and, and would like to see EPA finalize that quickly. Yeah, and the reality of it is most vehicles 
pulling up to that pump can use uh, E15, but the label would make you think just the opposite, that somehow uh, the majority of vehicles cannot, and you, you need to be warned uh, to not use it. Uh, I mean, that's kind of the yeah. the impression it leaves. Yeah, that, that, that's right. And in fact, you know, there's a strong argument that, that maybe a label isn't even needed anymore, right? because you're right, 95% of the vehicles on the road today are legally approved by EPA to use E15. Uh, the requirement is that the vehicle has to be a model year 2001 or newer vehicle um, in order to be covered by the E15 fuel waiver that, that EPA issued back in 2011. So uh, that's 95% of the vehicles on the road. So, so we've got a label that really is, is meant to speak to just 5% um, of drivers who are driving older vehicles. Um, and, and we know from other research that even if they did happen to put E15 um, in those older vehicles, it's it's not going to have any impact. It's not going to have any problem. Um, but but really, that's that's who this label is meant to speak to. Of course, you have the the issue also that EPA did not approve E15 for use in you know off-road vehicles or gasoline-powered equipment like mowers and and four-wheelers and 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 boat engines. So that that you know that would I guess uh, justify the the continued need for some sort of uh, educational label but but uh, you know the, the the current label just goes way too far and, and we're happy to see EPA taking steps to revise it. We're talking with Jeff Cooper president and CEO of the Renewable Fuels Association. All right Jeff uh, explain f- to us your call for a low carbon a national low carbon fuel standard. What would that look like? What would that entail? Sure well Mike we, we know that uh, we are going to see legislation, maybe not this year, maybe not next year, but sometime in the years ahead, we fully expect to see a national uh, energy and climate policy that requires, in, in some form or fashion, reductions in greenhouse gas emissions from the transportation sector. Uh, so we want to get ahead of that uh, debate, and, and we want to bring to the table uh, the concept that we think makes the most sense uh, to do that, and, and we think a low-carbon fuel standard, if structured correctly at the national level, would be you know, our preference. That's the policy we'd like to see for reducing emissions from the, from the transportation sector. We, we've already seen a, a couple of states that have implemented low-carbon fuel standards. Um, we've had some, some uh, bumps, uh, bumps and bruises with some of those programs, but I think over time we've learned you know, that in, if an LCFS policy is done correctly and the the life cycle analysis and all the other details are done right, uh, it could be a very good uh, program and very good policy uh, to drive demand for biofuels like ethanol. But as we have seen, when you're forming a policy, it's only as good as the information you put into the process, right? And that's been the problem with some of these is, is the, the numbers, the analysis that they look at may not be really totally accurate so you wind up with uh, yep. uh, an end product not what you maybe started out trying to achieve yeah yeah and that's especially too true with a a low carbon fuel standard because under that kind of policy um, every fuel whether we're talking about ethanol or biodiesel or electricity in an electric car or biogas in a, in a you know a, a vehicle that runs on natural gas all of those fuel pathways are going to be analyzed and given a, a score uh, that is meant to represent their carbon footprint. 
So, you know, those those numbers are only as good as, as the data that feed into these models. And if, if these regulators aren't using good current data, they're going to end up with misrepresentations of the carbon footprint of these various fuels. And that's that's absolutely what we saw in California in the early years of that program. Now, 10 years later, they've gotten better. Um, they're, they, they're, there's still room for improvement. But at least now they recognize that, yeah, ethanol does reduce greenhouse gas emissions by 35 or 40 percent, according to their model. Um, we think it's even greater than that. Uh, but it just, you know, these these policies are driven by those carbon intensity values and, and scores and the life cycle analysis. So it is critical that regulators get that right when they're when they're uh, designing these sorts of policies. And finally, your thoughts again on you know the push on an infrastructure plan that seems to heavily favor electric vehicles over uh, the use of biofuels. Yeah, it it really it really does. I mean, President Biden's proposal had 174 billion dollars for electric vehicles and and EV infrastructure. Uh, really had nothing for biofuels. There was some research and development funding uh, for aviation biofuels and things like that, but but nothing related to infrastructure expansion for currently available biofuels. So, you know, now Congress is is holding the pen on you know what their what they think their version of of an infrastructure package ought to look like so we are working with our friends in congress to make sure that uh, biofuels are not left out of this infrastructure package we think for a fraction uh, of uh, what is being targeted for electric vehicles uh, you could take just a just a small piece of that and and aim it toward biofuels infrastructure and that would have a real impact on helping get more biofuels into the marketplace uh, and it would also help achieve the goals that, that President Biden and, and others want with these infrastructure packages, which is to you know, really accelerate that transition toward lower carbon uh, transportation fuels. So we do have a, a lot of work to do, but uh, you know, we think there's a good chance that we can squeeze some, uh, some, some provisions for biofuels into this infrastructure package as it, as it continues to move forward. Jeff, just seconds here. Uh, our ethanol producers getting any CFAP money in this round that supposedly biofuels will be included in it. Is any of that happening yet? It, it's not happening yet, and, and we're still waiting on USDA to, to show us the details on, on exactly how that's going to work. They're still crafting the biofuels provisions, uh, but, but we are you know, still being told by USDA that, that uh, biofuel producers absolutely will be included. Okay, still waiting on that. All right, always good to talk with you. Thanks, Jeff. All right. Thank you, Mike. Take care. Take care. President, CEO of the Renewable Fuels Association, Jeff Cooper. Well, uh, for many, spring planting on hold as we wait for the, the snow to stop and for the temperatures to warm up. We'll take a look at the conditions in the St. Joe, Missouri area. Gene Miller joins us next on AOA. Adams on Agriculture brought to you by Cenex Premium Diesel. Cenex Premium Diesel. Diesel that doesn't mess around. Do you know how to keep food safe at home? Clean, separate, cook, and chill. The easy lessons of clean, separate, cook, and chill will help you protect your family and be food safe. Let's talk about how to chill. First, keep the fridge at 40 degrees or below to keep bacteria from growing. Use an appliance thermometer to be sure things are cool. 
Then, chill leftovers and takeout foods within two hours and divide food into shallow containers for fast cooling. And always thaw meat, poultry, and seafood in the fridge, not on the counter, and never overstuff the fridge. Food safety risks at home are more common than most people think. The USDA is your partner in being food safe. Clean, separate, cook, and chill. For more information, visit BeFoodSafe.gov or call 1-888-MP-HOTLINE. Through the years, you've really kept up with the times. You're on social media. Like, like, dislike, block. Maintained your health. 10,000 steps. I'm a beast. You even programmed your own smart home. In 10 minutes, remind me that I'm a genius. In 10 minutes, I'll remind you that you're a genius. If you can do all that, you can definitely save for retirement. Just go to aceyourretirement.org, a free online tool sponsored by AARP that can help you get on track with your retirement savings no matter your age. At aceyourretirement.org, you'll meet Avo, the friendly digital retirement coach, and in just three minutes, get personalized recommendations to help boost your retirement savings. They're easy to understand and work with your lifestyle. It's quick, easy, and free. Plus, it's brought to you by AARP, so you know they got your back. You are a genius. Take charge of your retirement. Go to aceyourretirement.org now. That's aceyourretirement.org. A message from AARP and the Ad Council. When it comes to the crops you plant, we know that you want to maximize the yield of each seed. In order to do that, you need every plant to emerge on the same day. The problem is, you don't know if this is actually happening. We understand what it's like to be in the cab at harvest, wondering why a field is yielding lower than expected, which is why we're offering you our free emergence flagging kit. Here's how it works. Go to precisionplanting.com forward slash free and request your free emergence flagging kit. We'll send you a kit that includes multiple colored flags, a seed digger, and instructions. The first day your plants start coming up, follow the kit instructions to flag the new emergers each day. You'll gain a much clearer picture of how consistently your plants are emerging. Get your free emergence flagging kit today at precisionplanning.com forward slash free. Don't wait. Kits are limited. That's precisionplanning.com forward slash free for your free emergence flagging kit. This is Around the Table, where we explore the benefits of cooperative ownership. Today, we're joined by Brian Schuweiler, who leads global grain trading at CHS, to talk about linking U.S. growers to buyers around the world. Well, let's look to the future. What do you see for U.S. grain exports? I'm optimistic. Um, you know, grain consumption, as we think about it, is driven by population growth and an ever-changing diet that includes more proteins. And so if you look at it from a demand perspective, demand is going up about 1% to 2% per year. And so I would expect that our uh, grain exports will follow suit with that. And I think I'm very confident that our U.S. producers and our U.S. grain system can compete on a world-class scale with other countries such as South America and the Black Sea region. We will have competitors for those markets. So what do you suggest U.S. growers could do to take advantage of the opportunities for these global buyers? Yeah, I think the number one thing uh, producers can do is connect with companies like CHS. Um, you know, companies like ours have strong supply chains, already have those international marketing connections um, that can allow them and help them connect to the end users and really create a relationship and, and complete that end-to-end -end supply chain, as we like to call it, uh, connection. Um, the other thing they, they may want to take to look at doing is, you know, growing conventional crops, like your corn, soybeans, and wheat. Um, 
are really getting to be more competitive around the world. Um, we have the ability to offer our buyers through the growing, our, our producers growing specialty crops um, or, or different attributes in the crop conditions that they grow. And that's what our buyers like to see from our, our producers and growers. That's Brian Schuweiler, who leads global grain trading at CHS. Thanks for joining us around the table. Learn more about the benefits of co-op ownership from CHS at cooperativeownership.com. Adams on Agriculture brought to you by Cenex Premium Diesel. With Cenex Premium Diesel, you can count on a diesel that will keep your operation in top shape. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now, back to Mike Adams. Gene Millard farms in the St. Joe, Missouri area. He sent me some pictures this morning, and it, I would have thought if I just looked at the pictures, Gene, that it was December or January or February, not late April. That's right. It looks a lot like that out there. But it's not the first time this has ever happened. But we're uh, we're used to kind of, you know, having springtime and getting the planters rolling by this time of the year. But uh, there's been some planting done earlier, back about three weeks ago. It was ideal, nice, warm, sunny, soil conditions were just right. A lot of, you know, nervous bent up uh, uh energy to get started and and there was a little bit of planting done but then it it really got wet and cold and and it's pretty much uh halted right now with about three to five inches of snow on the ground here do you have any corn coming up no not that i'm aware of i mean i looked at yesterday as some that we'd planted three weeks ago and and i didn't see anything uh even beginning there there was you know there the the, the seed is swollen up a little bit but it's been so uh, unfavorable to growing conditions that I think it made a good decision to stay underneath the ground. How concerned are you, though, about how long it may have to stay in these conditions? Oh, somewhat, but in in our particular case, we didn't really get you know, crazy about uh, how many acres we got planted. Uh, we only planted about 70 acres, and so if it if it does got to be redone, why well, we've got plenty of time to get it redone. But the issue, Mike, has been uh, there's been no opportunity to do any spraying, no herbicide application out that I'm aware of hardly anywhere in this area, um, mainly because it's just too windy. Mm-hmm. Uh, back early on, when the planting conditions were right, it was so windy. There was no way you could get a sprayer in the field as, as winds were getting over 20 miles an hour every day. And uh, that really really stopped things. So, uh, you know, we're impatiently waiting to get going. The, the hen bed is doing really well in places, nice purple flowers. <laughs> yeah, I see a lot of that. And it is the, it's supposed to start warming up here uh, into next week, so that, that's encouraging. Where are you compared to a year ago, Gene? a year ago uh not far though ideally uh you know we like to have the corn planted by the 20th of april and i think last year we did uh this year obviously we're going to be a little bit behind that and uh next week looks to be a turnaround and it's it's normal here and now look at the weather maps that all the long-range forecasters give is normal precipitation normal temperatures and that means it's either too hot too cold too wet or too dry and so it'll be back, back to the warmer side next week 
But it shows how quickly it can change. I mean, there for a while it looked like, wow, we're going to have early planting really this year, early, earlier than many years. But now all of a sudden we're talking about, well, maybe it's going to be a little bit later planting, right? Maybe, but then I'm looking at the market screen right now, and, and beans are up uh, t- near 20%, 20 cents on new crop, and corn up a dime on new crop, and we can plant $5 corn today, uh, cash corn. Not very many times that we had the opportunity to do that, so uh, we're not too worried about it yet. There's plenty of time and get the, the crop in the ground, but it needs to be done in the right conditions because it just costs way too many dollars per acre to uh, not do it right the first time. Mm-hmm. We're talking with Gene Miller, who farms in the St. Joe, Missouri area. Gene, did you, are you making any acre switches this year, or do you know of many in your area that are, with these prices being as they are? Well, Mike, you know, one thing that last fall was dry. It was really dry, and there was a lot of anhydrous applied last fall, and, uh, you know, the price was <laughs> much better than it is now uh, for applying uh, nitrogen fertilizer. And so a lot of the inputs were purchased early, and in our particular case, you know, our planting decisions were basically made in October, and uh, seed was purchased, bucked ahead, and uh, so we're not going to make any switches. We're pretty much into a corn-soybean rotation, and uh, I don't really see too much inclination to change because if you're looking at uh, $5 corn and twelve fifty soybeans, uh, you can cover a lot more acres uh, with a soybean combine and not have near the expense. So I don't see it changing drastically. Well, even though you're dealing with some snow right now, at least you're not dealing with the flooding that you were not that long ago, what, a couple of years ago? Yeah, um, you know, it was it was pretty bad there a couple of years ago uh, uh, when there was quite a bit of flooding in, in the Missouri River bottom area and some of the tributaries. But uh, thank goodness we've got most of those levees back up and repaired at least up and along in the southern Iowa and very north Missouri area that uh, had the major breaches and so they've really done a lot of work on the levee system and of course this year there's not the snowpack up north and so the river levels have really been pretty mild. And how are things going at Golden Triangle Ethanol Plant in nearby Craig? Well it's doing really well. encouraged that the price of fuel ethanol finally got up, you know, nearly $2 a gallon. And, uh, you know, this has been a long time coming in that respect, but our industrial alcohol sales have been steady, and uh, quality uh, is the name of the game in that game, and, and so we continue to pursue, you know, the opportunities in that regard. You know, obviously the hand sanitizer thing a year ago was a big deal. Uh, that probably has tapered off and uh, becoming a more stable marketplace for that. But the issue is with with an ethanol plant is $6 corn is kind of hard to grind. Mm-hmm. Yep. It, uh, there's always uh, the other side of that coin, isn't it? All right, Gene, well, right. you know, you go out to the garden. Instead of putting up a scarecrow, you can build a snowman, okay? That's right. That's right. Mike, <laughs> have a great day. All right, take care, Gene. Thanks. We'll talk again when the when the planters are rolling again. Okay. Okay, Mike. Have a good one. All right, put yeah. put away the the planter for the snowplow for a while. Gene Millard, who farms in the St. Joe, Missouri area. Well, with that, we'll wrap it up for today. Thank you so much for joining us. Coming up tomorrow, we'll talk more about the, these environmental issues and where agriculture, what part agriculture plays in it, and keeping a closer watch on. Um, 
any commitments the Biden administration makes uh, as far as climate uh, objectives and then look at how agriculture may uh, be asked or told perhaps to uh, to meet those requirements so we'll keep a close watch on that hope you'll join us right here on AOA Cenex Premium Diesel comes with a more complete additive package for a more complete burn to optimize performance in all engines.